Hello, everyone. It's so nice to be back. It's been a while since my last podcast. I didn't mean to take so much time off, but you know what they say, man plans and God laughs. So I broke my hip. I went through the hospital, surgery, rehab. I had a walker. I had a cane. I had physical therapy. It's not fun. I'm not a patient person with myself, with everybody else, yes, but I'm not a patient person with myself, and I just wanted it over with. The only good part that came out of it is that I had plenty of time to think and talk to people. In the process, I realized that my podcast has been focused on kids in school who need help, most of whom have recognized struggles like learning challenges or neurodiversity or physical challenges. All are diagnosable. But there are so many other kids who need support, kids who may be out of the system already or may be at risk for dropping out of the system, kids who do not feel they have anyone they can talk to or who will understand them and understand their struggles, no one, in other words, that they can relate to. So I went on a search for people and organizations who are doing that, addressing those kids, reaching out to kids who are at risk of dropping out or giving up or getting into trouble. And the first name that was suggested to me is our guest today. Dr. Daryl Howard is doing some critical work through his bond project, building our network of diversity, bond. It offers inspired teaching, reaching and teaching black boys and how to be anti-racist, how to be an anti-racist school leader. What Daryl is doing encompasses all of the areas that I feel I want to address moving forward in the podcast. Kids who feel that no one understands them, kids who feel that they are not part of the culture that we have been developing in our school system. Let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Howard. Daryl Howard is an equity specialist whose work and research interests include race and cultural proficiency, social emotional learning, and the triumphs and challenges of African-American male students. As chair of MSDE, which is Maryland's State Department of Education Advisory Council on Black Boys, he researches and recommends policy and practices to decrease disproportionality and elevate achievement. Dr. Howard is co-director of the Bond Project, an initiative focused on the recruitment, development, and retention of male educators of color, as well as empowerment of underserved male students. Howard is the author of the book, Complex People. Oh, I read that and I just loved it. We're gonna talk about it later. And he can be found across social media at Daryl Howard, PhD. And this will be posted on the website. So if you wanna reach out to him, you can do that. We'll also be posting his bio. So I want to start with uh, you, Dr. Howard, if um, if I may, and I'd like you to talk a little bit about the Bond Project, how it came to be, what were you seeing that uh, that 
brought to fruition this um, this organization that you've put together with your with your partner. Um, give us some of the statistics, perhaps. Um, sure. Okay. All right. Thank you, Judy. So, um, good day, everyone. So, the 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 Bond Project um, it actually stands for Building Our Network of Diversity. And it started in late 2013 when a group of, of educators, um, primarily African-American male educators at the time, um, noticed some trends that were, were troubling. Um, the fact that school districts could find a way to recruit male educators of color, but they were having a, a, a time in trying to retain them. So they wanted to kind of figure that out and determine why people were leaving the profession, um, why it was such a challenge to keep folks in the classroom. Um, so a number of focus groups were done, um, a number of different types of, of pilot, mentoring pilots were established, um, all in an effort to, to make sure that um, there was diverse representation in the classroom. And that was looking at it from a from a systems lens, a systemic lens, um, but also recognizing that relationships and connection were a part of why individuals were choosing to, to stay in the field. Um, so the Bond Project has kind of grown out of that. And, you know, we've since moved on to doing a lot of work around um, consulting, and you mentioned some of the professional development um, offerings that we have. Um, we have still the mentoring in place with our, our veteran educators being able to support some of the new teachers who come into varying school districts that we're associated with. Um, and lastly, um, the fact that we have a learning and leadership institute for, uh, for Black boys, because we felt that that was one of the main things that we wanted to ensure um, we were we were providing some support for um, the recognition that so few black and latino male students ever have a black or latino male teacher was something that spoke to us so we wanted to make sure that we provided that space for them was one of the reasons in your research that you were having difficulty retaining educators of color, Black and Latino educators of color. Um, did it have anything to do with the same reason that um, children of color, Black boys, Latino kids are having difficulty in school with the cultural um, interesting, interesting question, and I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you, you, you made that that that, <laughs> that connection. So, in fact, our theory of action that if school was a better place for black boys, more of them would want to be teachers, and if school was a better place for black teachers, more of them would want to stay as teachers. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like if you distill what we do. Um, into like just a, a, a few words that 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 nugget that I just offered is is what we came up with. Um, you know, we're talking about an average of in terms of black male teachers, you're talking about an average of 2% or less wow. in the teaching profession. Um, and I mean, of course, you know, 
everybody understands that teaching is a female dominated profession. Right. Um, for instance, in the state of Maryland, the last I checked, female teachers were about 78.9% of the teaching population. Um, and then out of that 21% that are male teachers, it's still a very minuscule number hovering around 3% in the, in the state of Maryland. What so, about women of color? Are they in? They're part of that. They're part of that large. So yes, they so that's are the male female okay. number. But then when okay. you pull out and disaggregate, you pull out the black male teachers. You're hovering around. Okay. In Maryland. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Part of the um, you said part of the research indicates that minority students do better, contemporary and contemporaneously, in school when they are exposed to teachers of their same race or ethnicity. Would you explain that statement a little bit? It's a mouthful. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> um, and so I'm, I'm thinking you're, you're speaking to something that I, that I wrote about in the white paper. Yes, I am. On, that is on the Bond website. Yes. And the reason why I wrote that is because I not only wanted to study kind of like our theory of, of, of action, um, but I wanted to see what researchers were saying about. Uh, about how to build self-efficacy for educators um, and, and and make sure that they're in the best position to support student, all students. Um, but when I came across the research, it said that if a um, Black student is exposed to a teacher of the same race in grades three through five, that increases their chances of graduation and moving on to higher education. And I thought that that was pretty powerful, just one that teacher um, and being able to recognize some of the racial and cultural connections that may be missed um, on a daily basis. And if you were to change that dynamic by one teacher, you could change the graduation rate in an entire school district. Do you have any research um, in, you know, in um, exploring that dynamic as to why that is such a powerful connection? And I know you, you mentioned Bandura and I'm familiar with him uh, building self-efficacy. And in case our listeners aren't uh, familiar with that, uh, building self-efficacy or self-efficacy itself is the sense of our ability to be successful in whatever it is that we're doing. So why does that relationship, that connection, develop that kind of sense of self? Do you have any research on that or yeah, any so, feedback? Um, I, I, would, I would encourage listeners to explore that white paper that's on the bond page because all of the um that would be a good starting point because those researchers are listed yes in that document but i would also kind of look like at the work of travis bristol who is he is in california i want to say ucla um but he does a lot of work in this area but aside from those who are who are specifically studying teacher recruitment and retention um i would i would I would say the connection is culture. Um, the ways in which people do say, interact, engage, um, 
when, when you see and feel something that is familiar to you, you recognize it, you appreciate it, and you respond positively to it. Um, and I think that is missed oftentimes, particularly with black and brown boys who, you know, grades um, K to K through 12 spend the majority of their educational experiences under cross-cultural and cross-gender instruction and supervision. And I know that's a mouthful, so I'll, I'll say it again for the for the yeah. Black and brown boys spend the majority of their K-12 experience under cross-cultural and cross-gender instruction and supervision. So, so what that means is, it means that um, there's a lot of opportunities for mismatches based on culture and gender um, for that particular group of, of students. And that's where the challenge lies, I believe, in trying to, um, to fill in the gaps from a systems level, like a structural level, being able to look at workplace diversity, but also from a professional development perspective, being able to help educators to be more culturally responsive to understand the experiences of their students, the cultural experiences of their students. You, I, I'm going to be referring again to this um, white paper that you wrote, and I'm hoping that we'll be able to put that on the website. But one of the terms that you use in there is collective efficacy. Mm -hmm. And that's a very interesting concept. And I think it relates a little bit to what you were just talking about. Um, because uh, if children, young men and women, uh, black or, or brown children are in a cultural situation where they feel that they are alone, that where they have no one to relate to, that no one is bringing them together as a group to help build that sense of uh, group um, culture, mm -hmm. that that can be very isolating where a black teacher or a brown teacher um, helps to develop that cultural connection, mm -hmm. that cultural efficacy or collective efficacy that you speak about. And these, this is one of the things that I got from reading some of the things that you wrote. These are terms that I've never used before. And I think that they're so important for us to get out there and start talking about because they are, we, we look for reasons why Black boys, black girls, brown boys, brown girls are dropping out of school. And we often say they don't care. Their cultural, their culture doesn't emphasize education. Um, there's a whole bunch of reasons that we give that they're, they're lazy. They don't want to work that hard. Um, but we're not understanding that there is a foundation of, uh, almost separateness that's a wall that's building that we're not um that we're not addressing in the classrooms today that we're not reaching out to try and build connections we're, we're building uh barriers mm -hmm. because um these are kids that are not they're not i mean i say this all the time these are kids that are not being 
uh, evaluated and we can't say, oh, this child is OCD, you know, any of the alphabet soups. And so we can't give them an IEP. We can't give them a, a 504. This is just a kid who doesn't care, a kid that just wants to be obstinate, just a kid that nothing I say or do is resonating with them. And um, I think that collective efficacy, for me anyway, brought so much together of the experiences that I've had in teaching in the past. I, I, I'm just wondering what your, um, you know, what your feeling is about what I'm saying. Am I, am I getting close? Am I off the track? No, no. I think, I think you bring up a number of good points. Um, Cause I think when having these conversations, a lot of times we, we aim to, to, to situate the, the problem with an either or type of, um, there's an either or type of option like there's there it can't be both and right it's either or um mm -hmm. that's and that's kind of the way we we do things in the united states of america like i would encourage us to look at the micro uh, um as well as the macro so when i talked about student success or um like i mentioned like from a macro level that means looking at workplace diversity like i can't handle that if i'm a teacher that's that's up to the Office of Human Resources to develop to, to figure that out. That's a systemic or structural <laughs> issue that needs to be addressed. As a teacher, I can think about how I interact with students in my class. That's something that I can handle. So that's the micro interaction level. Okay. Um, and I think we oftentimes, you know, in the in 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 our country, like we look at this thing, we look at things through the lens of individualism. Um, and you have to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And if you don't, if you aren't being successful, that means that you're just not trying hard enough and you need to do uh -huh. better. And if you fail, that's all on you. And uh -huh. I agree with all of that. Like self-reliance has to be a part of it, but I think it's easy to say that when talking about children, right? Um, and we need to oftentimes think about the structures in the schools and the in the classrooms and say, what might we do differently there to ensure that they're engaged? Like it's a both and, um, but it's easy to kind of just point the finger and say, hey, they don't want to be here. Watch, this is what happens. And I think, you know, we need to explore both and, right? Like we can't just say, let's let's fix the students. No, let's fix the system as well. Exactly. Right? Exactly. It's not about yes. fixing the students. And in fact, like I would think about the, I think it's called the groundwater theory that came out of the National Equity Project. And mm. the groundwater theory kind of talks about, like, if you have a pond in your backyard, and you have fish in that pond, and your neighbor has a pond in their backyard and they have a fish in, and they have fish in there, but all of the like a certain type of fish in your yard in the pond start to die. Like, do you look at that fish, the group of fish, or do you look at the water? Do you look at the groundwater and what could be impacting? What could be toxic for a particular group of fish in the pond? Oftentimes we just look at the fish. Let's take an opportunity to look at the groundwater as well. That's interesting because one of the examples that I use when I do a workshop is that if you're a gardener 
and um, the flowers in your garden are dying, you don't blame it on the flower. You begin to evaluate the soil. You start thinking mm -hmm. about the water. You think about fertilizer. You don't blame the soil. Mm -hmm. um, it's the same same uh, thought connection process. Um, I think I mentioned to you at one point uh, when we were talking before um, Ross Green, and um, I was surprised that um, you know, he wasn't part of some of the uh, references that you gave, because when you talk about the kids that you have and their their challenges that they are um, that they're meeting up with, um, one of Ross Green's favorite uh, uh, quotes is kids will do well if they can. And if they can't do well, then it isn't on them. It's on us. It's on us. We need to find um, the reason why they can't. And uh, he's done a lot of work in this area. Might might be someone you might be interested in and in checking on. Um, it's green with an E, G-R-E-E-N-E. -E. Wow. Um, so talk to me uh, again a little bit about um, some of the resources that you use within the community to support your efforts in the school. Um, how are you uh, making it um, known or, or how are you um, using resources in the community to train kids? Do you have volunteers come in and work with the students? Um, are, are the schools themselves receptive to addressing some of the things that you want to do? Are they open to giving you the facilities that you need? Are the teachers in the school receptive to what you're doing? Are they a little reluctant to engage in what you're doing? I'm just curious what the community support is and what resources they're making available to you. Right. So um, just to kind of back up just a little bit. Okay. Okay. So, so, I came into education, I was a sociology major. And and you'll see that throughout my texts, right? If you if you haven't already, like I look at everything through a sociological lens. Uh -huh. And I had to do an internship in order to, to get my undergraduate degree. And so I went to, um, I worked in a prison for a semester. And during that semester, I saw a number of things that were problematic um and 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 I've reflected on a lot that was problematic in our society, but I also thought about the experiences of the people who were coming into that facility. Um, and I thought, what could I do differently to help individuals to make decisions that prevented them from from being there? And so I went on, I got my master, I graduated, went on and got my master's degree in counseling. And my focus was on culturally responsive strategies and techniques for counseling African American. Okay. Boys. But I wanted to make sure that those individuals had the tools, the resources, the strategies, the um, the means for which to think outside of the box to prevent themselves from ending up in situations like I had just interned in. Uh -huh. um, and so that's kind of like I've over 20 years, I've always been focused on on black boys. And I've had a number of different leadership programs, mentoring programs, etc that were focused on cultural identity, social emotional learning, college and career exploration. 
So how can I help students to better understand who they are as racial and cultural beings? Um, what do they need to know about social emotional learning, like self and social awareness, decision making, building relationships, emotion management, all of those are pieces of growing into yourself and it changes as you go through different stages of development mm -hmm. as, mm -hmm. as a youngster. And then lastly, college and career exploration, like thinking about what is it that I want to do once I'm once I'm beyond my school age years, what am I going to do with my life? Help you found these areas were lacking in the community that you were working with when you were in prison. So in my in my counseling research, yes, in my yes. master's okay. in my master's thesis, these okay. were three things that I knew I had to to shine a spotlight on okay. every time I work with boys. And so those were the types of things that I tried to put into place with every any type of programming that I was involved in. And schools and educators have always been receptive of that additional support. Because as I just mentioned, this is just not a issue for for a school to figure out. It's not just an issue for students mm -hmm. to figure out. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to help teachers. I'm trying to help the school system figure out how we can be more supportive of this particular group of students. But simultaneously, I'm helping these students to say, hey, you need to think about this a little bit differently. You need to consider this. This is something mm -hmm. that you might want to try. Um, so it's a it's a it's a dual pronged approach, if you mm -hmm. will, um, because there is no one solution to supporting students. Um, and so that's the way I've set up and organized everything that I've done around around black boys. And there's always been resources. There's always been building use. There's always been um, individuals who will come in and um, sponsor events or offer, um, you know, participate in career days and share their experiences in a, in a given field. So the, the support has always been, been there, um, because people recognize the, the need. You, you didn't get any pushback at all. People didn't, um, you didn't get any pushback at all with uh, in, in education or with administrators or in the community with them saying, uh, you know, this, we don't need to be spending time on this. Uh, kids need to just do what they need to do. They just need to tough it out. They need to, you know, they, you, you know, that, that, that I've heard so often. <laughs> yeah. So, so. I'm not saying that I didn't get pushback. I'm saying that okay. I haven't heard much pushback. Oh, I'm sure. Okay. I'm sure there's considerable pushback that are individuals who are focused from an individualistic lens and saying, hey, it's all on them to change their dynamic, even though uh -huh. they're children. It's right. all on them to change their own dynamic. Um, however, for me, the data makes me unapologetic in this work because if we have a if we meaning educators have a group of students who are at the bottom of academic test scores who are at the bottom of english language arts reading math graduation rates college acceptances if they're at the bottom there but they are the highest in referrals detention suspensions expulsions <laughs> special education Mm -hmm. How is it that we can look at that data and turn our head? I, I I don't understand that because to me, it comes down to two things. It's either we are saying that these boys are 
genetically, behaviorally, um, intellectually predisposed to negative outcomes, or we're not doing something right in education. And I believe, I know it's the latter, right? Um, so that's that's kind of where I stand on on the issue. If you are an educator and we talk about being data driven um, spaces and meeting the needs of students, then this is data that cannot be ignored. So this is the, the all of this is about uh, as, as a quote from you is disrupting the achievement gap. This is all toward trying to um, change the trajectory of this gap in education that is is widening i would imagine absolutely absolutely okay okay all right so um so i'll i'll yes. say this okay i don't know of any i don't know of any school district across our great country where we would allow any group of students other than Black boys to have the challenges that are demonstrated in the highlighting the data and we not pay attention to it and not ring an alarm and we decide decide that we need to address it. I don't I don't know of any other group hmm. where, where that exists. I think so, all, many of the younger teachers today are looking for support, um, white, black, or brown, um, right. to help them. Uh, navigate and i hate the word cl uh, um, classroom management i don't use that when i do workshops because we're not managing people um but are, are helping them to understand they want help in learning how to navigate their classroom and connecting with their students and i think we have that more today than we ever have but um sometimes it's difficult to uh to reach people who are very set in their ways. And um, and I hope that we have, one of the things that you mentioned to me or that I read somewhere, I don't remember, um, you talked about Gary Chapman and the five love languages. Mm -hmm. And I did that little assessment. And I won't <laughs> tell you what I found because I learned a little bit about myself. But I think that would be a really cool thing to do with kids in the classroom and have them be able to see what the results are of that um, that evaluation because it gives you, um, it illuminates for you what it is that you respond to in connecting with someone else. What, yes. what, what a great way to, and it, it was so, it was right on with me, yep. right on with me. Yep. So you know what it would even be cooler? You said it would be cool for students to do it, but mm -hmm. I, I think it would be cool for teachers to do it. Well, yes. Right, because right. oftentimes when we talk about people who are set in their ways, yep. like like te oftentimes some teachers who are not culturally responsive, what that means is that they're like, I'm the teacher, I'm the one who's in charge, everybody does as I say, you sit mm -hmm. down, you listen to me, and I bestow knowledge upon you, and then you <laughs> leave and you go on. Like a funnel, you just yeah, pour it yeah. in. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's that. That's the Paulo Freire right. type of thinking, the banking method. Right. Um, but we live in a different generation, and as a teacher, you have to kind of think about. There's a new generation of students every so often, and you have to kind of shift your your approach. Um, we're we're dealing with students who have never been without 
a device in their hands. You know, we're dealing with students who've lived mm -hmm. through a pandemic. Like we've dealing with students who whose experiences are different than ours were as children. So just kind of like sit down and be quiet and listen may not be the right approach. Maybe some days it is, but some days you have to speak to their, as we were just talking about, speak to their to their love language um, and kind of shift and maneuver based on the needs of the students in the class. And oftentimes, well, I won't say oftentimes, but sometimes teachers don't recognize that that would, that level of engagement um, and that building of relationship would yield results in terms of teaching and learning. I think we also have to remember that some of these students who were um, uh, kept within their house for such a long period of time may have been in very difficult situations. For sure. And and um, that we we need to open ourselves up to now you're back at school doesn't mean that that torture that ugh, hell really that they went through for that year and a half or two years it just goes away right. um you know you never really know someone until you walk in their shoes kind of a thing and i think we need to remember that i tell my students that i hope i hope they learn as much from me as i learn from them every day because um, they teach me so much and uh, i think we need to open up to that that we are not the experts necessarily in the room and everything, that our students are also teaching us um, as we are, you know, teaching them. We, we each have our own areas of expertise. Um, so I want, I'm very anxious <laughs> to get talking a little bit in conjunction with what we've been talking about, about your book, Complex People by Daryl C. Howard. And um, I, I just want to start by saying, I thought I knew everything. I've read How to Be an Anti-Racist. I've read um, a cast of several other books in that vein. And I thought I was pretty well informed. Uh, the other books were, were wonderful. I learned a lot from them. Uh, I read them as almost uh, text and, uh, and I, you know, underlined and took notes and so forth. But I read your book and I, I have to say that sitting in the comfort of my living room where I felt safe and secure, I was very uncomfortable. <laughs> I was squirming in my seat, not because anything you said was inappropriate, not because anything you said uh, was, um, uh, felt me, felt, if, I felt as if I was being attacked or anything, but because it was so many aha moments where I was able to say, oh my gosh, I never thought of it that way. Now I understand something that happened a while back. Now I understand what a child said to me, that you're putting it in context for me. I highly recommend this. And what I would like to try and do is, is just touch on a few of the topics that I felt were particularly uh, strong uh, terminology that you used. Um, and maybe people, we can, we can pique their interest and they will go out and read this because I think anyone who is, even if you're working in a lily white community, I think it's important to understand 
what is happening in other communities and um, and be able to share this with your students so they are also informed. So in that vein, um, we talked a little bit about this, but can you explain to me in your book, you talk a little bit about the functions of education apart from just teaching math and language and the and language or or the subjects. Education has other should have other uh, um, important aspects. And can you speak to that a little bit and maybe touch upon culture and the dominant culture and um, the sense of uh, uh, race as a culture. I'm throwing a lot of things out at you and I'm not quite sure which way you want to talk about them. You talk about a culture tree, mm -hmm. which I thought was excellent. You talk about the black umbrella. What a great term. When people read about that, they will understand what this, how this concept um, is, is described and how all these strings are hanging down under the black umbrella. So I'm going to be quiet and I want you to think about how you want to present some of these things. I might throw a word in here or there, but however you want to bring this up, because this is your book. Uh, these are separate essays where you have uh, talked about different aspects of the Black culture about education. You also have a great chapter on Obama. Um, I, I, I could go on. I just want to be quiet. I want you to bring this up how you think you should do that. So thank you, um, first and foremost, <laughs> for, for, for being transparent and sharing um some of the discomfort you allowed, you allowed yourself to sit in and and i'm 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 glad that i was able to push your thinking in a way that um that didn't feel as though i was um like you said harsh or anything but just oh. trying to help people to think outside of their own um their comfort own zone <laughs> yeah yeah thinking outside yes. of one's own experience yes um and so yeah i wrote this book in 2000 15. Um, so it's actually been some time and, and I think I've had some ideas that have even kind of expanded beyond then. Um, but this book was approved by the school district that I was working at. And, um, and so I do think it speaks to a number of um, demographics in terms of, of, of race, but also age, um, because high school students were able to engage in the text um in one of our sociology classes so um I, yeah but in 2015 i would say that coming off of the obama years is a little bit different than where we are coming off of the last seven years or so like of course you know we've had president trump we've had president biden we've had a pandemic like the world and society has shifted now so it's definitely time for um uh, for some more writing um but uh things were i would say a little bit different in my mind than around maybe race and culture but let me try and make a connection point based on what we were talking about earlier and what we were talking about uh, when you mentioned some ideas around culture particularly mm -hmm. like the culture tree 
Um, so for those that aren't familiar, um, there is a scholar by the name of Zaretta Hammond who talks about culturally responsive teaching in the brain. And, you know, when we talked about love languages, we talked about kind of meeting the needs of students, we talked about building relationships. That's kind of like the, 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 the avenue that she uses to make sure that teaching and learning is taking place in the classroom. And so when you think of a tree, of course, you think of a tall image, um, you think of things at the top that are often colorful, different shapes, sizes, textures, etc. Of course, this time of year, you're probably raking them up and you're probably mad that you have so many leaves, but the leaves on your tree are, are beautiful, right? We love to look at our leaves. They protect us from the sun, etc. Um, so that's what we would use to define shallow level culture, excuse me, surface level culture. So that's what people see about individuals that have different experiences. So we're talking about holidays. We're talking about the way people dress. We're talking about the music that they listen to, the food that they eat. Like some of us may enjoy cuisine from different groups. So I love Ethiopian food. I love Italian food. I mm -hmm. love Korean food, right? So those, those surface aspects of culture are typically things that we can all appreciate about one another. Um, and it's easy to see and it's easy to recognize. When we talk about the trunk of the tree, we're talking about what holds it erect, what holds the tree erect, how the bark protects it from the elements, like the way it interacts with the world and stays upright. That, that, that aspect of human culture would be the, our interaction patterns with one another. So if we're talking about um, the way in which we greet one another. So some people may have been taught to have a firm handshake, you look a person in the eye. Some people have been taught to um, kiss people on both sides of the cheek. Um, in terms, I mentioned eye contact, some people have been taught not to look at, for instance, a child is not to look at an adult in the eye in certain cultures. Whereas my mother had always taught me, hey, when I'm talking to you, you look at me. So thinking about these things and how we could have communication gaps between teachers and students because they don't understand one's culture. If a student's not looking you in the eye and you've been taught that that's the appropriate thing to do, you might be saying, hey, you're being insubordinate. You're not looking to me while I'm reprimanding you. You need to go to the office, right? But that student has been taught from his parents, from his family that he shouldn't be looking exactly. at. Exactly. It's not respectful. So that's how we look at culture and interaction patterns. Um, now, using the tree, one last symbol of that is deep level culture. So those would be the roots of the tree, like what anchors the person into the ground. Um, so we're talking about values, beliefs, um, you know, um, competition versus collaboration, um, and, and ideas around fairness and respect. So those are things that are also they also need to be explored because they can be cultural values that can be different based on a particular group. Um, and again, that all goes back to that basic understanding of culture goes back to how to be 
culturally responsive and how to make sure you have a classroom that has more of a collectivist orientation. You used that language earlier, um, collectivist orientation where all of those cultures, all of those identities, all of those races, all of those genders, all of those religions feel like they can be included in one classroom space versus individualism where there's one that is prioritized over others. That's what we want to avoid doing. We wanna move away from individualism um, so much individualism and bring a more collectivist element into our classrooms. I, I'm just um, overwhelmed with so many of the things that um, I learned in this book and uh, we don't have time to bring a lot of them in, but um, I would like to talk, I'm just gonna throw out there, you didn't mention it, so I'm just gonna throw this out there. Um, you talked about the black umbrella Mm -hmm. And you talked about um, in uh, in that Black America has four different cultures that are developing in, in America. You talked about uh, the, the mainstream middle class majority um, and, and you went on about these. And I found this extremely interesting, but I... I and I think it's well worth reading because I think it's very illustrative of a white, you know, middle-class teacher to understand a little bit about the culture of the kids th that are coming into my class and trying to, not to pigeonhole them into one of these places, but to understand that all of the kids I see, black boys, brown boys, they're not all coming from the same background. And I think that it's really important for us to understand that. Um, I want to end with a quote of yours, which is on page 134 of your book. Before I do that, I just want to ask you, is there any other point that you, anything you want to bring up that I haven't um, mentioned or asked you about? Um, so, yeah, so, we, I mean, this really needs to be a two or three hour podcast. We I know, really I know. Get to where we need it to I be. know. Um, but I would just say you because because that black umbrella piece really spoke out to me and a lot of that came from um, some of my reflections on the work of Eugene Robinson and his text uh, disintegration. Uh -huh. So I would encourage your listeners to take a look at that book because it gives the full picture of what you were describing. And I agree, it's incredibly important. Um, if you really want to understand race and culture better, being able to look through through that type of of um, with that level of depth and analysis would be would be important. One of the things that you say is that race is divisive and culture is uniting. I'm not quite sure what I don't remember exactly what the quote is, but um, you do say something uh, mm -hmm. to that effect, and I think that's very important. But I do want to end with a quote of yours, um, which is on page 134 of your book. And again, I hope people will take a take time to look at this. I mean, it's not a book that's out of the price range of most of us. Um, it's a paperback. Um, it's not a lot of pages. I read it in a few days. And uh, I think it would be so helpful for most of us to incorporate some of this information so that we have a better understanding of um, what is going on in our classrooms and where some of these kids are coming from. But this, I just, I loved this quote. I know it's not yours. You said it was uh, 
you didn't know who the source was. But I want to end with this. And it says, when it comes to doing something right, whites are a group and blacks are individuals. When it comes to doing something wrong, blacks are a group and whites are individuals. And that just gave me the chills because you know, we're all, I include myself, we are, I am someone who would, in my ignorance, say something that might be uh, um, hurtful, where I would be including all of the kids in a group, or singling out one who did something well as an, you know, as an individual. And um, I, I, I think it's so important for us to do a little bit more due diligence on exploring some of these concepts because we can all use it. We can all do some work on this area. Thank you so much for spending so much of your time uh, making this happen. I know we've had some challenges. I We do that uh, podcast, getting people together to do a podcast is always a challenge. And I do appreciate so much your time. So I want to thank Daryl for giving me so much of his time for not giving up on me when we had some challenges. Uh, I would love to recommend and I'm going to be, uh, I have a review on Amazon on his book. I hope it gets published pretty soon. Um, The name of the book is Complex People and the book lives up to its name. That's all I can say. It lives up to its name in many different respects. It lives up to its name. People are complex and we have a tendency to forget that in our in our ignorance sometimes. Um, I consider myself uh, with my teaching background and I also worked in lockup with uh, in the DYS center uh, and um, I and and I felt that I was so knowledgeable. And I found out that um, I have a lot to learn. Thank you, everyone, for being with us today. I don't know um, what you think about this podcast. I would love to have you put some thoughts up uh, or or email me with some of your thoughts. Uh, We're going to continue in this vein of exploring some of the challenges that kids have that the kids that we don't necessarily consider uh, as struggling because they're not, they haven't been diagnosed. They don't, not on an IEP. They're not on a 504. We kind of just throw them into a group and say they're kids having a problem and uh, there's nothing else I can do about it. And so we're going to start looking at what we can do about it. So watch for the coming podcasts. I hope that some of these issues will be illuminating for you. And if you have any suggestions, I would love to hear from you. Um, I want to be able to help if I can. That's my goal. I want to be able to help if I can. And I need your support to be able to do that. Thank you so much, everybody. And have a wonderful holiday. And I hope to see you again after the first of the year.